in here, Mike has been speaking on uh, Search Me and Break Me. Tonight is uh, Send Me. And I'm going to start a little differently to how I plan, because I think God is, uh, is on the case. Uh, he certainly is with me. Uh, I've, there's been a few times in my life where uh, you will have found me on my knees, in tears, uh, praying that prayer. God, I'm willing to go. Uh, I'm aware of what the cost might be. Uh, I'm aware that you might call me out of my job, that you might call me out of my home. Uh, and often I'm kind of saying, God, I quite like my house. I don't want to lose my house. Please can I keep my house? Um, but, and I'm there kind of with all my heart saying, God, I want to go because I'll go for you, whatever it is. If you're asking, I'll go and do it. Uh, and there's been a few times in my life where I've said that and I remember it really clearly. Uh, now, just over about 10 years ago, after a season for me of, of really pushing in to, to God, to listening to him, to, I was spending almost a couple of hours a day in prayer, which is quite a lot for most people, and I'm not very good at doing that now. God's lucky if he gets kind of one day out of me where I do that, uh, and I struggle uh, the rest of the week, probably like most of us do. Uh, but after this season of really pushing into him, uh, I found myself at a conference with Alel Ministries, and someone was talking about uh, how God loves to, uh, not just to make promises that he's made in scripture to us, but actually how God loves to tell us what he wants to do in our lives in advance so that when he does it, he gets the glory. And, and in that kind of context, I was saying, okay, God, what is your promise to me? And, uh, and, and this was the kind of the call that God gave me that I've been sitting on for over 10 years now, and I heard him more clearly than I have ever heard him. It it was, it, it, I, I thought it was actually God speaking out loud and the whole auditorium had heard this because that's how loud it was in my head. And what God said to me was that, Toby, I want you to buy the drink, which is now the casino, it's the nightclub that sits there and back then it was called the drink. And, and God said, because it's in the context of revival, the churches are not going to be big enough, we're going to need more space and so I want you to buy that place and make it available to me. Um, so I just dropped that bombshell on you. There you go. That's something for you to think about. Um, God has amazing plans for us. He's got plans for our nation. He's got plans for our town. If you're sticking around in Guildford, there is a time coming in my lifetime when there is going to be a call on your life where God is going to ask you to step up and do more, uh, to answer uh, the, the call that he's giving you to step out in his kingdom, uh, to do the work that he wants doing because he only does work through us. That's how this works. God only does work through us. But I've got a concern. I've got a concern for my life, A, that I'm not listening enough like I used to. Am I going to miss it when God says, now, now, go now? Am I going to miss that? And my other concern is that actually we are inherently reluctant goers. When God says, I want you to go, I want you to do something, we, most of us are the people that kind of say, yeah, God, here I am, send him. Um, we don't want to go. We want someone else to go. We, we, want, we think someone else is more qualified, that someone else is more suitable, that someone else is more gifted, that God surely doesn't want me to do it because I am unworthy. Those are my concerns. And actually, if I kind of can observe that in us as humanity, we shouldn't be surprised in Scripture that God makes the same observation. 
If you read through Isaiah and Jeremiah, you'll hear God saying in a few places, I called, I asked you to go, but no one was willing. No one would go for me. God is is speaking to his people. He's saying, I've got work to do, and I want you to go and do it. But consistently throughout history, his people have not been willing to go. They've not responded. And I think that I can say that that is probably true of us. This is not me having you go at you. By the way, we're all in the same boat here. And what I want to talk about tonight is how do we move from this place of being a little bit reluctant, maybe a little bit selfish in how we want to go and the things that we're willing to do, to that place that Isaiah got to of saying, hey God, here I am, send me. What was the job again? (laughs) It almost doesn't matter. Send me. Uh, Have any of you seen a series called The West Wing? Have we got any West Wing fans here? Most of you are too young. It's very sad. This is a series that was released in the 90s. It surrounds the White House and the office of the President of the United States. It's a drama. Uh, It's not anything to do with Donald Trump. Thankfully, it wouldn't have been as good. Well, it might have been great entertainment, actually. Uh, but, uh, But if you've not seen this, you have to watch this series. This, Andy Bagwell put me onto this, this is great TV, I tell you, it is great drama, it's well written, it's intelligent, it's funny, it's clean, there's no sex, there's no drugs, there's no violence, there's no swearing, it is just good entertainment. There's my little plug for The West Wing, watch it, there's about seven series, if you binge watch you'll be done by the end of the week. Um, <laughs> I don't encourage that, it's not good for us. But So in, in, in The West Wing, it surrounds the office of the President and the staffers who work around him, running the various uh, departments within the White House. And whenever the going is about to get tough and the president wants to change direction or they're going to embark on something that they know is challenging, that's going to be hard, that's going to involve hard work and confrontation, then he gets them all together and he basically says to them, are you up for it? Is Andy Bagwell in the room? Andy, what is their response? Yes, I serve at the pleasure of the president. And one by one, they'll go around a room with a smile on their face in full knowledge that this is going to be costly, that this is going to be hard, and they will say, I serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. Guys, I think that should be almost our mantra. I serve, not at the pleasure of Donald Trump, but at the pleasure of the king above all kings. I don't serve for my pleasure. I don't serve for your pleasure. I don't do this tonight for you or for me. I do it because I want to speak about him. I want him to be glorified. I want him to be pleased with with what he's asked me to do and me doing it faithfully. I want to bring him glory. That should be our mantra. We serve at the pleasure of the king above all kings. Let's look at Isaiah's call, and then I've got four simple things that I want to recommend that can help us move from this place of being quite reluctant responders to being people who can, with all integrity, say, God, I'm willing, I'll go, send me. Um, Isaiah 6, if you can actually see, have you got Bibles? No, right, I won't even tell you then, the page number doesn't matter. Um, Right, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the Saras flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now, in the, um, the White House, also in the West Wing series, which is where I've seen it, there is a room in the basement uh, called the Situation Room. It's the room uh, that the president goes to to meet all the top military brass and the, um, the intelligence advisors where he hears about sensitive information about what's going on domestically, internationally, where he hears about plans for invasions or whatever it might be and gives the order to go. It's a room that's really hard to get into. Not even his kind of core staff team get to go in. It's the room that everybody would love to sit in a chair. There's a picture of it, I think, somewhere, if you can see it. There we go. That's Obama. We haven't got one of um, the current president. But you can see that there's kind of like an inner table, uh, and the president sits at the head, and, and there's chairs around the edge where kind of almost the low life sit. They don't get to speak. Only the people at the table almost get to speak, and they just get to listen in. And just kind of, it's that picture that almost, how I understand what Isaiah's going into in this vision. It's almost as if Isaiah's been invited into this situation room in heaven. Because if you pay attention to the words, God's not speaking directly to Isaiah. He just gets to see what's going on and he hears what God is saying. It's almost like he's sitting at one of those chairs around the outside. And so that brings me to the first point that I want to say, and that is that we need to get into that situation room, and when we do, we need to learn to listen. And I think that often we're not listening, and we're not practicing this. We need to learn to listen. Now, Isaiah is uh, already uh, a prophet. We're in chapter 6, so for five chapters, Isaiah's been hearing what God is saying, and he's been telling his people about it. He's a man practiced and getting better at listening, and he has this incredible vision. From personal experience, as I've already spoken about, there have been seasons in my life where I have practiced listening uh, to God. And funnily enough, it's in those seasons that I've heard God a lot more frequently. Uh, not just for me, but stuff that maybe he wants to do in our church and in our town, things that are on his heart. And I think that God still works in this way. We see it sometimes when we do kind of, you know, what's God saying? Has anybody got any words from God in ministry time? And there seems often to be a thread that kind of runs through the stuff that people come up and say. And if you talk to people that are experienced at listening to what is on God's heart, you will actually find that what one person hears in Guildford, you know, there's somebody else in Farnham who's heard God saying exactly the same thing, that this is what he wants to do. And it doesn't just happen in a room or just in a town, it happens across nations, that it's almost as if people are tuning in to the situation room. Like Isaiah, they're getting to overhear what God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are saying and planning together, and he lets us in to listen. We get to go in, that is amazing. We get to go in, that is what Christ did for us. My friends, God is speaking He might not be speaking directly to you about the stuff he wants you to do, but he is speaking, and we can tune in and listen to what he's saying. And it might be that in our listening, he gets to speak directly to us, and we hear what his plan is for us. Number one, we need to learn to listen. 
Number two, when we get into the situation room, we need to remind ourselves who's in charge. In Isaiah's vision, this is what he sees. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim were saying to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah gets this incredible vision of God, and I want you just to imagine for a second, because what Isaiah says is that just the train of God's robe filled the temple. So can you just, like, almost in your mind's eye, just imagine a vision of God, you know, here on a throne, and just the train of his robe fills this place. Does it give you some kind of idea of how big God is in Isaiah's vision? How vast is his greatness? That is, God is trying to convey something to Isaiah here, that I am bigger than you think. I am bigger than what is going on in Jerusalem. I am bigger than what is going on in world events. I am bigger than the things that I call you to do. But it's not just that, is it? Because um, Isaiah, that's who it is I'm talking about, he, he encounters something more, God's holiness. The seraphim is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. And we need, I think we all need that. We need that encounter with God. We need that bigger vision of who God is. We need to encounter his holiness. Because only when we encounter his holiness does something else happen that we realize exactly who we are. And that's number three. So number one is we need to learn to listen when we get in the situation room. Number two is we need to remember who's in charge. We need to have that bigger vision of who God is and what he is able to do. And number three is we need to remind ourselves and remember exactly who we are. We need that reminding, actually, that we are unworthy, that compared to him, we fall utterly short, that we have fallen short of his standards in every single way, and that we deserve nothing. Woe is me, Isaiah says. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people, and my eyes have seen the king. Like every good Jew, Isaiah knew that actually he's just gazed upon the holy, holy, holy God and he does not deserve to live. He deserves to die. That is how all Jews understood this because it says in the Bible, no one can see God and live. Isaiah is expecting to die. He has seen his own ruin because he has seen the Holy One. And that is kind of the, the thing that dawns on him. As soon as he is kind of gazed upon the vastness of God, he realizes just who he, who he is and how far short he falls, how unworthy he is. And we all need that. I think we all need to be reminded that actually our strength is going to fail us, that our wisdom is insufficient, that our knowledge is not enough, that our intelligence isn't going to be good enough, that our skill set will fall short. We need to be reminded that actually we fall short, that we are unworthy in every way to serve him. We don't deserve to do it. And in fact, more than that, we don't even deserve to survive. Isaiah deserved death. That's what he thought. That's what the Bible says. And we deserve that too, don't we? Ultimately, that's what we deserve. Were it not for Christ on the cross, we deserve death. We are people who have rebelled against him. We have sinned against him. We have, and we do it deliberately at times. We deserve death. That is the punishment that we deserve. But thank God for his grace. 
It's only when we go through that process of getting that bigger vision of who God is, because when we do that, all of a sudden, our worldly problems seem so much smaller. And I don't know about you, but for me, the more time that passes between those encounters with God, actually, the bigger I seem to get and the smaller he gets, the bigger my problems become, and the more powerful my sin seems to be over me. But when I encounter God, all of a sudden, it changes my perspective, and we need that. And we need that reminder that we are unholy and we are unworthy because that is the only place where we can encounter the power of his grace. And that's my fourth thing. So number one, we need to learn to listen. Number two, we need to, I've forgotten it already. Remember who's in charge. Don't laugh at me. Uh, Number three, uh, we need to remember who we are because number four, we need to be reminded of his grace. We need to be reminded of his grace. You know, in the, in, the, in the US, the president is the only one with the power to pardon people. Despite them being proven guilty, he's the only one who can declare them innocent and erase the record, release them from prison. That is mercy. Isaiah deserved death, but God granted him life. That is mercy. He didn't get what he deserved, and we get the same. We don't get what we deserve. But more than that, God shows grace, and grace is God's undeserved kindness at Christ's expense. Grace is getting the very opposite of what we deserve. We deserve death, but God gives us something so much more. He invites us into that situation room to listen to what's on his heart, and then he makes us a part of his plan to enact it in this world. That is amazing. We are invited in. We are sons and daughters. We are, we've had our slates wiped clean. That is amazing grace. And I don't know about you, but I need to go through that process on a regular basis. I need that. I really do need that. We all need that. And that is the only place where we can then, with all integrity, say, hey, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm available. I'll go. Whatever it is you want me to do, whatever the cost is, I'll go. Because it's in that place that we know that whatever the cost might be for us, it doesn't come close to the price that he has paid. We need to regularly get to that place. That is essential for our Christian survival, for our service of God, to do it with humility. Uh, This is what God says through Isaiah in chapter 66. If I can find it. Contrite means to have remorse, regret, uh, to feel the shame and guilt of what we've done wrong. This is the one that God esteems. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word. When was the last time you trembled at God's word? God is speaking. Are we listening? I think some of us just don't listen very often. Like me, at the moment, I need to practice listening more. I've got to get back to that place because I want to hear what he's saying. I want to listen to him. I want to be available to him. And I think some of us, actually, maybe we don't listen because we're a little bit scared of what he's going to ask us to go and do. Maybe we feel unworthy. Maybe we feel that someone else is more gifted than us. And if I could walk you through the Bible and talk to you about Moses and Joshua and Caleb and King David and King Josiah and Gideon and Samson and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on and I will show you that actually your strength doesn't matter, your skill set is irrelevant, your wealth or lack of it means nothing to him, uh, you know, your experience really doesn't matter, your only qualification to answer the call of God on your life is that he's the one doing the calling. 
Your only qualification is his grace. That's the only thing that matters because he will resource you. He will equip you. He will gift you. He will orchestrate the circumstances of your lives to facilitate his call. And if you're worried that maybe God's going to call you to some big life-changing event, what I want to say to you is, A, you're in a tiny, tiny percentage. If you read through the Bible, it's like kind of probably less than 1% of the people actually get called to go somewhere else. Um, most of us, our calls are going to be numerous, they're going to be small, they're going to be for here, they're going to be for our hometowns, for our communities, for our workplaces or our universities. Um, It might be for one person that you know that God's laying on your heart. These are going to be the calls that God places on our life to do stuff for him, to step out for him. But we need to be in a place of listening to him. And if you are, end up being that tiny, tiny percentage of the person who gets called to go and move to another country and do something wacky and sacrifice everything, then can I offer you a word of encouragement from everyone that I know that has had to do that, is that God has an amazing ability to transform your heart so that your heart's desire is the one thing that he's sending you to do. It makes it so much easier to go. In fact, I even know that in light of what I feel God is calling me to do. I love my job. My job is boyhood dream come true, flying planes. But yet I'm even aware that there's a change going on in my heart, that God is getting me ready to step out of that. Um, and so it's nowhere near as daunting as it once was. And I was like, God, I don't want to stop. I love my job. I love my house. I love my life. Um, but he will get you ready. Good things to think about. Let's, um, let's pray. Um, I, would, I just want you to close your eyes. I want to read again that vision that... Um, Isaiah had of God and I just want you in your mind's eye to to conjure that up to to try and get that that understanding of who God is that bigger vision of him his vastness and his holiness and then I'm going to leave you in silence for a moment and what I would love you to do is just take a moment with God to remember who you are and if you're willing to offer yourself to him to make yourself available to say to him, okay, God, whatever it is that you might call me to do, I will do it, no matter what the cost is. This is what Isaiah saw. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. 